Bapibo, Bipawabe. Hello and welcome to Meet the Artist podcast series hosted by the Museum of Indian Arts and Culture. My name is Matthew Martinez. I am the current deputy director at the museum. Located on ancestral Pueblo land in so-called Santa Fe, New Mexico, or Ogapoge, White Shell Water Place, Mayak is one of the four museums in the Museum of New Mexico system. Mayak is a premier repository of native art and material culture that tells the oral histories of the people of the Southwest, from ancestral stories through contemporary art. Like everything else, the ongoing coronavirus pandemic has significantly shifted the way the museum reaches our audiences, and we are using virtual events and digital programs to connect with our local community. As part of this effort, Mayak has continued to support indigenous communities by hosting several native artists on a YouTube series, also called Meet the Artist. To reach a broader audience and in response to the growing demand for online content, we are repurposing these interviews into a podcast. In this series, Maya curatorial staff takes some time to speak with local artists about their work, how the pandemic has affected their practice, and what they've been up to in the past year. In this episode, Lilia speaks with Jane Myers, a Comanche and Blackfeet artist, filmmaker, and producer about her dedication to increasing indigenous visibility in all aspects of the visual and performing arts. Hi everyone, welcome to Mayak's Artist and Scholar Dialogue series where Mayak staff and curators are speaking with different artists and scholars about their work, the impact the pandemic has had on their practice and just what they've been up to in the past several months. My name's Lillian McEnany and I am a curatorial assistant at the museum. And today we'll be talking with Jane Myers, a Comanche and Blackfeet artist and film producer. Jane's work is massive in scope and range. She does everything from organizing public programs to modeling, to making dance regalia, jewelry and dolls, to working in several aspects of the film industry. But before we start talking with Jane, I'd like to briefly acknowledge the place where this conversation is happening, even though we're in the digital realm on, at least on my end, in Ogopoge within the Tewa world. I wish to acknowledge all of the native people, past, present, and future, who walk on these lands. As a non-native person living in so-called Santa Fe, I'm a guest in the ancestral homelands of the Tewa people. So now we can get started. Hi, Jane. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> so for the viewers who don't know you, why don't we just start with a quick introduction of who you are, a bit about your work. I know you have a million things going on, so can you just give us a little introduction to what you've been up to? I always have a million things going on but now with COVID it's like kind of half a million so it's not not so much as it usually is but I live here in Santa Fe I've been here for maybe 12 years originally from Oklahoma I'm Comanche I'm on the Comanche roll but I'm also in the Blackfeet I'm a quarter Blackfeet to be on the Blackfeet roll but I I was raised by my grandparents in Oklahoma so can you talk a little bit about how the pandemic has changed your professional life and artistic practice? I mean, I know it's changed everything and everybody's lives, but can we talk a little bit about what specifically has changed for you? I think for for me, you know, it's been an adjustment for my myself and my children. As a Native person, it, it's really like given me the time to work on my traditional art, to work on the things that I do sell, jewelry, etc because normally I don't have that time because I spend a lot of time traveling for the film work that I do. But but it's been kind of a nice break. Like if you could wish that you had this long extended vacation and what could you do? So I made a whole list of all the stuff that needs to be done and I've just been ticking through it. I can now park my car in my garage, (laughs) which I couldn't do before. So Black Velveteen is parked inside for the winter. And then it's just been, it's been amazing for me to be able to be in my home 
I worked on my outdoors and did a lot of cooking out, eating outside because, you know, we're not able to, nobody wants to stay inside all the time. So it's been great. My daughter, Pishan, graduated from San Francisco University of Art this summer, but her last semester, she, she was home for Christmas and then she never went back because they went to online school. So her last semester of school was spent, was spent here, which was great because she's been away for four years. And for me, that was great. We actually got to see each other because I really missed her. And, you know, her graduation, they did, it was just all up in the air. They decided not to have a graduation. They were going to have a virtual graduation. Now they'll, they're trying to decide again, to, she can graduate with this next coming class because they have a whole year to decide what they're having. So she got a cap and gown in the mail, which is real exciting for her. And my son is home because he's a model in New York and we know New York was ground zero. So actually I was working on a film in Arizona in March and he called me and he said, mom, how long do I have to stay up here? You know, it's getting really bad. And I said, son, I've never lived through anything like this. You know, when we're older, we'll be talking about in 2020, the year that didn't happen. Yeah, we'll be talking about this. But, you know, I didn't know. So I flew him home really quick. He actually got home before I did because I was working in the, actually now it's the hot spot of the Navajo Nation, which is like by Hopi in the northern, mm -hmm. like the northwestern part of the reservation. But I was working on a film there and, you know, I could just, you could tell it was going to be a hot spot later, but I was working on something else. Yeah. So all of my friends so, really tried to keep up with them and everything. Yeah, that's definitely a very important part of all of this. I also know that the switch with all the art markets and the museum being closed when you do a lot of work with Mayak and the film industry is on pause. How has that been? Everything. It's, it's like my whole life was put on pause because every avenue that I have that would, that would bring income to me was stopped. The film industry was stopped. My act was closed. What else? Sometimes I can go because I, I'm a powwow dancer, so I can go to powwows and compete. And I was also scheduled this year in March to be the storyteller at Denver March Powwow. And they bring school groups in and everything. So I was one of two storytellers. So that was canceled. Gathering of Nations was canceled. And then, you know, so all of in my art shows, my last art show I did was the Herd Museum show. Mm -hmm. And that's just everything was just stopped. I've had yeah. a couple of flash sales with inventory, but, but every income level was just done. I remember at the herd, everybody was like kind of whispering about it, but nobody really, it was like just about to hit, remember? And yeah, and then everything was quiet too. Has been a huge change for everybody in the community. Right. Yeah, so how have you like been navigating that? Have you been trying to fill your work online or how have you been trying to improvise? Not too much because yeah. I don't make a huge, a lot of inventory. My work is carried at Mayak in the museum shop, but of course that's closed. <laughs> but it would be really hard for me to take orders and do a lot of stuff because in my mind I'm thinking, oh, this is going to open up soon. I was lucky because I was able to be the executive producer on an opera and the opera did very well and but we even the opera had a four-week run and we were only able to run two weeks and then LA closed down so it closed down the opera which was going gangbusters so that was kind of sad but I had since that job was a job that was unexpected I just kind of saved that money and put it aside and then I worked on a film down in New Zealand or actually a TV show in New Zealand at the end of January first part of February so it was kind of like I've just been kind of you know, rationing myself out, you know, stuff. And then, yeah, I think that's what we're all doing. Just trying to yes. piece stuff together. Definitely. <laughs> so can we talk a little bit more about Sweetland? This is an sure. opera that was organized with the industry in LA. 
and you were an executive producer. Yes. So can you just kind of introduce everybody to the premise of it and tell us why it's such a huge moment for opera? It's a huge moment for me as an artist because I've always loved opera. You know, from early on, you know, my first husband is, I shouldn't say was, is Italian. And my dad, I have a half Italian uh, daughter. So she and I, uh, when I was getting her used to language in the Ital- Italian language, I took her to operas because most librettos, librettos are uh, in opera. So that way she could hear the language and it's kind of a singing language. So I, as a person, you know, fell in love with opera early on. And then this year, well, actually, I was a Sundance uh, producer fellow several years ago. And at one of our summits, I sat next to uh, a non-native gentleman because at, at Sundance, there's like, there were only like two or three natives that were there at that event. And it was at the resort. He was at our table and he's talking to me. He goes, oh, you're Native American? And I said, yes. And he said, oh, I've always wanted to do an, an opera about the first Thanksgiving. And I looked at him and I said, oh, hell no. And he said, why? And I said, because I said, for Indian people, that's the only thing that it seems like we're remembered for is Thanksgiving. And I said, that's, I said, don't do that. And he he just kind of looked at me and he laughed because I was so, you know, I mean, I just told him what I thought. And I thought, who is this guy? I'll probably never see him again. He was our speaker during dinner. He was our keynote speaker. (laughs) (laughs) And then I realized his name's Yuval Sharon. He's a genius. He's brilliant. If you look him up, Yuval Sharon, S-H-A-R-O-N, he's gotten the MacArthur Genius wow. Award. You know, I mean, he's 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 a younger guy, but what he does is he he makes operas about truth. You know, he makes operas that have the real performers that are native or that comes from a native place, whether it's, you know, indigenous, whether it's Hispanic, whether it's, you know, African-American. You know, he's kind of changing the face of opera because he's making it more about truth. You know, no longer, you know, okay, so we all love Madame Butterfly, right? But do they ever have, you know, an Asian person playing Madame Butterfly? No. I mean, think about everything. Like in opera, it's a show and it's, you know, it's different people playing, you know, these real, these characters. So after that, he and I kept in touch because I just, I was embarrassed. So I was very nice to him when he came back. And I was I'm so sorry I said that to you. And uh, so we kept in touch via email. And then he had met Chanupa Hanska Luger and he, he wanted to develop this opera. And he said, Chanupa, come out to LA and visit me and let's talk about an opera that I want to develop. Well, once he talked to Chanupa and Chanupa is so articulate, and he's so strong in his conviction about having Native people correctly portrayed. You know, uh, he was like, well, I want to do this opera about Thanksgiving. And he's like, no. <laughs> and he probably said more ex- explicit words than I did. But it, it was kind of funny because every Native person that Yuval came into touch with had the same reaction that I did. You know, and so Chanupa was originally going to do all the costuming. But once Yuval met Chanupa, he was so blown over and he goes, I, as a Anglo Jewish man, cannot, cannot direct this opera. You have to come and help me. You, I need you as co-director. So Chanupa became the co-director and he said, well, Chanupa said, well, you should talk to Raven Chacon because Raven, who is half Navajo, half Hispanic, he came on as one of the composers. So he talked to him and then they're like, we need to bring somebody else on. We need someone in the producing thing. And I had just produced on a, I was a location producer for Raven's music video that we did just like the year ahead. And we got permission from Gerald Peters to use this land. Like if you ever go eat at Gabriel's, 
that beautiful yeah. land that's behind there with all the yeah, Vista and everything that's owned by Gerald Peters. So we got permission to shoot on that land. And so Chinook was like, I don't know how Jane pulled this off, but you can, you should probably get her. And so then Yuval came out with his director of the industry, Elizabeth. So they came out from, from LA and they were coming to see the opera here because the opera wanted to talk to him. But he came up to Mayak and said, can we take you to lunch? We want to talk to you. And that's when he offered me the job to come on as executive producer. Yeah, and so how is how has that experience been for you? Have you have you produced an opera before? Or this- Never. <laughs> yeah. Never. Yeah. Um, so t- tell me over, about it. Over the years, I've been, I feel like I've been building my resume in film. So I can say that with Raven, I did it. I produced on a, a music video. I produced a documentary in Scott Mamaday, Words from a Bear, which was for American Masters, which was a feat in itself. This is the first time that is, I guess we were 90% Native American crew produced something for American Masters. So it, it broke that glass ceiling. So everything I try to do is something that Native people ha- we haven't done before, you know, in the new new genre. So I've worked on short films. You know, I'm producing Pichon's Mistress Red, A Day in the Life of Mistress Red, which is a short, which is a Sundance short. But I'm on a couple of other shorts that got the Senator John Pinto Award this year, the Memorial Fund. So that's for Native filmmakers. So I'm producing on two other shorts from that. So, you know, my, my guess, and then I've worked in television. And so I felt like I've kind of, you know, been, I was kind of rounded. And I never thought I would be able to actually produce on the opera. I mean, it, it was a joy for me to be able to do that. I feel, in fact, like I haven't done enough. It's like, I, you know, I'm like, well, what else could I do? Or what oh do you gosh. mean? Because you have these people that are brilliant and they have such talent. You know, Raven is amazing. Oh he's incredible. He's, yeah. He's incredible. Chanupa, super incredible. Yuval. A rock incredible. star. Yes, yeah. they're all rock stars. And then you yeah. have like Jane Myers like going, oh, what, what else? Also a rock star. Also not, a, not rock a rock star. star. <laughs> thank you, but I don't think so. But you know, I, I felt like I should have done more, but it was great because everything was culturally correct. Everything was beautiful. The set design was beautiful. Everything was, you know, it's something that hasn't been seen. We had amazing reviews. We had two reviews by the New York Times. We had three by the LA Times. And like even the last one for the LA Times says, says the opera that, the little opera that just wouldn't quit because everybody has been able to, you know, I mean, it just made such a splash because it's new. I mean, if you think how old opera is, all right, think about opera, you know, way back in, you know, God, what is it, 16th century, 15th, 16th century, maybe seven. I mean, way back. Way back. Yeah. So, so what new comes out of opera? Not much. But now, like, this is something totally new. So even though we only made it halfway through our run, we got funding from Vision Maker Media to make a film. So what we did is towards the end, we filmed it there. That's where probably I'll come in because I mean, this is amazing. So we got funding. So we're going to make a film of the opera because imagine if we did native community engagement and we took this to the reservations. You know, these are children that who knows if they would ever see an opera in their life. I didn't see an opera until I went away to college. So, you know, I grew up in a native area. I never saw opera, and I mean, a real opera until I went away and I was in Dallas and I saw my first one at the Morton Meyerson Symphony Center. You know, I saw an opera there and I was just like <gasps> blown away. So imagine if you're a native child on the res and somebody brings this film up and you get to see an opera that real native people worked on. So it also opens that up. Ooh, I could be a filmmaker because look, this filmmaker made, you know, a film about the opera or I could be a composer or I could be a director. 
or I could be a costume designer. But just to know that like the first opera that you see is one that's about native people, you know, and it's about the arrival of the pilgrims, but they just call them the arrivals. They don't really say the pilgrims or the settlers or colonizers. You know, Schnupa was really good about developing that whole sense and, you know, referring to people in different ways because it's always the colonizers that are up top and then the natives are down here. So then he flipped the switch. So then you have the natives up here and then you have these colonizers as arrivals. The arrivals come and it even, the opera was in two parts. I don't know if you know this, but if you want to see the opera or to, uh, you can go to the Industry LA website and click on Sweetland. But it also shows, the opera shows how industry moved into California where you had Asian people working on the rail railroad and how the railroad changed the life for Asian people for African American people and then like to wrap it up into a little box and put that bow on we actually did the opera in the historic LA park which is down by Chinatown if anybody knows LA it's right by Chinatown so that park is indigenous Tongva land so you know that so we even had at the beginning we had the Ferdinand and the band of Angelinos and the Tongvas we had their leaders come down and do a blessing before we ever started building anything they blessed everything and then they came on opening night you know and did a blessing too before we all opened and then did a blessing for the cast and everything so you know even you think about how many people that you want to reach or how many people you want to affect I'm sure people in the cast never had people you know bless them like this before it was open they never the people that were building the set you know they probably never saw the land being blessed by you know indigenous people before they started when it started building so it was just it, it was amazing like the opening night the opera split into two parts so you can go see the native part which is feast or you can go see the other part which is called train so everybody has a meeting place that they're in in the beginning and it has been a lot of seats and everything and then like the first part of the opera sun and then depending on which bracelet you have which one you wanted to see then you split and you split go into two different areas but at the very end everybody comes back to that place where you started so it was great I, I gave up my seat a couple of times to people because we had people that that were lined up, you know, out just waiting to, you know, try to get an extra ticket. I mean, our tickets were, our ticket sales were amazing. And we had people, we had people from like studios coming. We had people from Disney coming. I mean, just because the experience was an interactive opera, most of the time you're sitting in an opera and people are singing for two to three hours and you're, you're sitting there. This one, you're interactive, you're going there. When you're in the feast, you're actually at the feast. They have seats where you're sitting at the table and the feast is on the table, or you can sit you know, behind. On train, you're sitting in, and the set moves around you while you're sitting. So you're sitting in chairs that you can swivel and see everything and take it in. So it's really kind of amazing as an interactive opera. It was the first interactive opera that I've been to. Yeah, that's incredible. And it's like you're really indigenizing that space that is so historically white. And exactly. So, I mean, and you're doing it in a way that's not just with the storyline or with the cast, but just the way that it's organized. It's just much more, it's just a fuller picture of it's a, what opera can look like. And I feel like that is a lot about what a lot of what your work is about generally, about just like representation and bringing indigenous people into spaces that they don't normally occupy given the 
colonial structure of our society. So I feel like that's really incredible. On that note, I know you have recently worked with a project for Ralph Lauren on a campaign with your son and your dad. So can you talk about that experience? Sure. Well, back in my history, I worked for Ralph Lauren for nine years, right shortly after school, not, not so I guess in between school and getting into the film industry. So Ralph Lauren, we were in as a family last year in the holiday campaign. So it was Philip, Pishan, Wakia, Wakia's baby and myself. And this year they were looking at us again because Philip models for them. You know, he lives in New York and they were looking at the family, but because of COVID, they wanted to shoot wherever you live rather than fly us to a location like they did last year. And so I got to submit more people because Wakeu wouldn't be able to be submitted because she's in Canada and Canada, Canada had closed the borders. And so I submitted like Kyra Hendren, who's my little goddaughter. I submitted Rylan, who is Pishan's boyfriend, Rylan Kabodi from Interstate. So I submitted, you know, a lot of us as family and extended family. And then they picked Philip, myself, and then my father. So you had three generations of Myers. And my dad is a, ran a lifelong rancher and he lives on a, a ranch in Oklahoma. So all of us ride horses and they had us on horseback. But when we were starting to plan the production, I got a call from Devin, who is like over the Ralph Lauren, all of their video campaign production. And she said, you're a producer, right? And I said, yes. And she said, would you be able to produce this for us in Santa Fe? Because none of the team would be able to fly and come out. And I was like, absolutely because i would rather produce it than be in it so but uh, she kept me in it and then i did get to produce it and we just had a quick one day shoot it was very covid safe they sent us all of their things that they were using in new york mm -hmm. for covid safety and all of their guidelines and their rules so i had all of that that everybody went by and we had nine people so over half the people that were on the shoot were native filmmakers and people that worked in film. So that was great for me to, you know, to see that and great for them to see that. And it was also like a first for Ralph Lauren to have a native producer work on the campaign. And that just fits so well into the rest of your work. And so I guess given all of these different experiences that you've had in all of these different facets of native art, where do you see the field going? Where do you, what do you think is the future of native art? Well, I think that a lot of people, the future of native art is probably going to more of a digital platform. I think that, you know, everybody has really had to think outside of their box, you know, the native art box that they've created for themselves. They've really had to step away and figure out how to, you know, represent themselves on a digital platform, whether it's a website, whether it's an online market, you know, digital market, virtual market. So everybody's kind of had to get out of that space. You know, you're you're able to talk to your customers when you came to your booth. No, you've got to be now you're talking to your customer in front of your computer or in front of your phone, you know, and making a video of yourself. And so I think I think it's really another it's like a step in adaptability. And I think for native artists, you know, just like myself, many of us are multidisciplinary. You know, we can cross over into different things. So I think that's really important because everybody has to adapt in order to, you know, make your art career and still be able to thrive. Yep. Then you've got to like kind of, you know, be a little more adaptable. And native art has always been super adaptable. Absolutely. Yeah. And then it's also what I, what I like about it is because native fine art is always somewhat influenced by what's around us. You know, a long time ago, if you look at artifactual pieces, you know, they were influenced by the trees or by the land or the colors, you know, just like 
you know, ledger art or things that were done on buckskin. But nowadays, you know, I, I'm so kind of excited to see what's going to come out in sculpture, what's going to come out in traditional art, because there's been this huge shift in everyone's world, not just native artists, but in, in the world in general. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see how that influence pops up, you know, whether it's in silversmithing, jewelry, or, you know, like I said, sculpture, paintings, you know, what, what, what's, what's, what's it going to be? And for me, that's kind of exciting. Absolutely. And we're in the center of it too, in Santa Fe. Oh, it'll be really interesting to see how everybody spent their time in quarantine and what comes out of it, what creative work comes out of it. Oh, yes. So is there anything else you wanted to talk to my audience about? I just want everybody to stay healthy, to be careful and keep you know, keep up with your, your native artists that you collect and because, you know, we just all have to inspire each other right now. You know, as a native person, this is the way that I kind of grew up. You know, we didn't have all of this. <laughs> and so I kind of, it's kind of like a throwback for me. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of nice for my children to see this. So it, it's been great for me creatively. I feel like I've been able to really do a lot of things creatively inspired. Kuntawoha, thanks for joining us today. And don't forget to visit us online at mayaclab.org for information on our exhibits, to learn about upcoming events, or to plan your next in-person visit. To watch the full version of this interview, follow us on the Mayak YouTube channel. This podcast has been produced by Gladys Rimkis with editorial support from Lilia McEnany and Matthew Martinez. Special thanks to Jacob Shehey from Santa Clara Pueblo for providing the music for this podcast. Follow him on TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Be sure to check out his music, available for streaming on Spotify, Apple Music, and SoundCloud. This series is funded by the Henry Luce Foundation.